Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. We're out at the conventions, Rick. I- I've been covering national political conventions. God, I- well, I-, I let me put it to you this way. I've been to at least one of the conventions in every presidential cycle since 1992. So I'm, I'm just... You know, you get kind of jazzed. You get into this. You go to the convention. Everybody's there. People from all around the country. You know, all the political leaders, the 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 the, the correspondents, the reporters, all gathered in one big place. I mean, aren't you looking forward to it? They are so much fun. I mean, so much fun. I, everything about them: the sights, the sounds, the food, the drink, the, the hats, the parties, the hats. Uh, and you know, this time I guess it's the we are all together. We just <laughs> we're just consuming it in a in a very different way. We're together apart. We are socially distanced. And uh, John, I'm like you for the first time in 20 years. I'm not at a national political convention, and yeah. it's friggin' weird. Yeah. No, I I, I I gotta say, obviously that's that's the actual reality here. Uh, we are covering it. We'll be tracking you know the entirety of of both conventions, but. I'm not going to be leaving Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, I, I, I had dreams of a week in Milwaukee, a week, a week in Charlotte or Jacksonville or wherever the hell it was going to be on the Republican side. And uh, all virtual. We, we've gotten, Rick, you and I, a uh, kind of a detailed run through uh, from the Democrats um, about uh, what their convention is going to look like this week. We've spoken a lot with the, um, the Trump campaign about what their convention is going to look like. What I find fascinating here and we'll see how it plays out over over the next uh two weeks back-to-back conventions is the democrats have basically been resigned to the fact that their convention or at least most of it would be virtual for months for at least three months uh, maybe even longer um and and they've been planning for it they've been shooting videos about half of this convention this virtual convention will be on tape um, they've, uh, you know, tapped, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have live remotes across much of the country, uh, over the course of the, uh, of the programming they're going to be putting together and Republicans on the other side, the, the Trump campaign had been clinging to the belief that they were going to have a real convention, an in-person convention, uh, until just really just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so there's a bit of a scramble on the Republican side to put something together. So I think that one of the interesting things here is, you know, are, are the Democrats going to get a real big bang for their buck out of the fact that they've been, uh, you know, so meticulously planning for this thing um, with a, you know, rather elaborate uh, uh, programming uh, for each of the four nights? Are they going to get a, you know, a, a boost out of that, Can, you know, and, and, and are Republicans going to be suffering with the fact that they've really only had a couple of weeks to put theirs together? Yeah, and it's a big disconnect in terms of the, the preparations that went into it. And we remember last 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 cycle, both of the conventions were rollicking affairs, lots of news, more news than any convention I've ever covered, John. You know, to see yeah. to see what Ted was going Cruz on. Ted Cruz moment yeah. on the Republican side. And Bernie side. on the Democrats, and we remember the plagiarism issue with Michelle Obama and the, the very long Trump speech. Uh, all of that was was made for just really compelling television. That said. It is television. And in, to me, there's a there's a certain intellectual honesty in recognizing that these are just television programs at this stage, that um, neither candidate was going to face any kind of a challenge uh, to 
to the nomination. The idea of a contested convention faded many, many months ago, even on the Democratic side. Um, yeah, there's always talk about platforms and the direction of the party and, and those sort of things, but that's secondary. These are, and they've become over the last few decades, increasingly anachronistic. And they are now television shows and they are, they're messaging opportunities. And now you strip it down to its very basics and that's all we have. Two hours a night for four nights for the Democrats this week, four nights for the Republicans next week. What do you cram into that? Who do you showcase? What are the sound bites? What are the bells and whistles? What, is it, what does it look like? And how do you get that message across? I don't know who's watching. I don't know uh, what the upshot of these speeches will be. Um, I do know that we'll be there covering them and, uh, and, and watching them and analyzing them on, on, online and on television. And uh, you know, it's, a, it's a turn to politics. If nothing else, at least it, it gets the country in the mood again for an election because there's been so much else in the way of everything. I feel like conventions will kick it off, then we've got Labor Day and debates, and before you know it, we're in November. Now, the, the Democrats have told us that they've got, I mean, I mean, it's, a, it's this lineup of all the big power players uh, in the party, Michelle Obama, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, um, obviously, uh, you know, Kamala Harris and Biden, and the, the rising stars of the party, AOC, and all. And, you know, th th this is uh, a packed lineup, but the question that I asked was, will any of these speeches, any of them, have an actual audience? You know, obviously we're in the COVID-19 era, you know, social distancing is, is, is a requirement, but I could conceive a, a scenario where like we've seen graduations, where you have chairs further spaced apart, will there be anything like that? And I was a little surprised by the answer, which is no. That, uh, that, that not one of these speeches will have an actual audience beyond, uh, you know, the camera crews that are there to, uh, to, to capture it and the, the handful of journalists. Uh, so that's tough. I mean, I think that's going to be, I guess one way to think of it is, is the response to the State of the Union address. There's always a disadvantage to the party that's out of power because the president comes into the, to the House chamber you know, there's all that energy, all those people, the applause, all of that. And then, you know, the, uh, the, the out-of-party response is usually in a, you know, a studio. Now, what, what, what various people who have done this have tried to do over, over you know, recent years is to, is to do it in front of some other audience. But they never can quite replicate the audience of, of the House right. chamber. But in this case, there's, there's, there's no audiences whatsoever. How is that going to play out? I think it's going to be weirder than live sports. You know, Frank, I've gotten used to baseball already This to, to have either with the fake sound from fans or the, the cardboard cutouts in the stands or just, just the normal sounds of baseball. The sounds of politics involve crowd noise, uh, and particularly at conventions. They're about those loud demonstrations. They're about um, the, the big, you know, speeches that, that have kind of waves of response throughout the arena. All of it crashes together in the, the, with the, the beauty, the majesty, the, the, the moments we remember all involve crowd noise. And so, yeah, you're giving a speech uh, looking at a camera. Uh, we've all gotten used to Zoom to some extent, but it is a unique challenge in this era. It is someone who's made the analogy to me about, you remember when Saturday Night Live did those, uh, those live shows from home? Uh, and you know, they were yeah. funny. They were funny. They were different. They were, they were funny, not having the live audience mattered to the comedians as well. Now, these folks generally aren't quite as trained as the, the, the comic geniuses of, uh, of SNL, uh, but they're going to have to, they'll have to play to a crowd not knowing how it's reacting. And we're going to have to cover it not knowing how anything's actually playing.
So what what are the what are the big moments you're looking for with in, in terms of the Democratic convention? Well, we're coming to you with a special edition on Monday, and it is um, a, quite a lineup because it runs the ideological spectrum from left to right. You've got Bernie Sanders all the way to John Kasich. Uh, and, and Bernie's speech, I think, is probably the most consequential for where the party is at this moment, because for all the, the all the ways that Biden closed down the primary, he never did it with the progressives on board. And the the selection of Kamala Harris has been very popular, according to our polling. Progressives, though, have never really trusted and thought of Kamala Harris as one of them. So the signals from Bernie, I think, are critical here. Uh, we're expecting a couple hundred delegates to vote against the Democratic Party platform. Just as a matter of course, not a huge deal. It doesn't change anything. But their main objection is it doesn't include Medicare for all. Bernie Sanders it doesn't love everything in this platform, doesn't love everything about Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. But he is standing up there to kick off uh, the, the primetime hour, the part that's going to be on network television for the Democrats. Uh, and on the other end of that is Michelle Obama. Uh, she's the closer on night one. And I, to, to me, her speech is all about voter motivation. Um, we remember four years ago where she said, you know, they go low, we go high. Does she bring that back in some way? Or is this just about you got to get out because we, we got to go out and vote because you know that Democrats are engaged in this election. They see the stakes. It's not a hypothetical anymore in terms of squaring up against President Trump. Um, how you corral that and the messaging from the middle is interesting. We're going to talk to Senator Doug Jones from Alabama, an early Biden supporter in just a moment. But um, from everyone from, from Jones, a, a red state Democrat, to John Kasich. Uh, an actual real Republican who ran for president four years ago and was a was a top contender for the presidency himself, uh, who has now said it's it's actually imperative to elect Joe Biden. What a journey for Kasich! <laughs> what a journey for Kasich! I mean, uh, you know, I I remember when I first got to Washington, he was one of the real conservatives in the House on the firmly on the on, on, on the right flank of, of the party, the, 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 the ultimate deficit hawk. Uh, you know, John Kasich, who uh, ran for the Republican nomination twice, uh, you know, last time uh, making it into the final round against, uh, uh, you know, against Donald Trump. The convention last time around, the Republican convention was in his, you know, basically his backyard in Cleveland. But... <laughs> I don't really remember much about Kasich in Cleveland, do you? No, no. And, you know, that's an, that'll be an interesting point about the convention next week is um, there, there will be no uh, former uh, president or former presidential nominee in attendance. And so many of the, the party faithful, forget attendance, even participating in any way. I keep saying people are showing up. They're not actually showing up, John. I correct yeah. my terminology here. Right. But even that's not going to happen. And, and, and that's striking. And as opposed to the Democrats this week, which you'll see both Clintons, both Obamas, you'll see Jimmy Carter, you'll see John Kerry, uh, you know, a whole range of the party over the last couple of decades. The, the leading lights are, are all lined up around Joe Biden, and, and his is going to include some Republicans, probably more Republicans than, than Donald Trump's going to bring Democrats to, to, to his convention. All right, and we are joined now by Senator Doug Jones, Democratic Senator from the state of Alabama. Thank you for joining us, sir. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me on what's shaping up to be an exciting week for Democrats. It's uh, it's a, a big week for you. You've obviously you're a uh, what people may not know about you is you and Joe Biden go back a long, long time. You've known him for forty years. Of course, you've got your own uh, very tough reelection battle uh, un underway uh, this week. But before we get to all of that, can I just can I can I put you on the spot? And I, I hope this doesn't sound like a gotcha. Oh, question, John, nobody right? puts me. I mean, nobody puts me on the spot these days. <laughs> Why should I let you do that? 
<laughs> so, so here it is. I just I want to play for you a little bit of sound uh, from from over the weekend. Uh, Mark Meadows, the uh, the White House Chief of Staff, uh, with Jake Tapper on the question of of mail-in voting and and voter fraud. And I, I, I let me play the sound, and I got a question for you. That's, but there's no other not, evidence that, of widespread voter there's fraud. No, there's no there's no evidence that there's not either. That's the definition of fraud. Okay. Now, did you hear that? Did you hear that? He I said, heard it yesterday. He said. Too. He said there's no evidence that there isn't voter fraud. So I'm putting you right on the spot here. Can you produce right now here on Power House Politics the evidence that there is no voter fraud? Let, let me tell you something, John. You know, I was, I'm an old prosecutor, John. I'm an old prosecutor. Yeah. And we always used to laugh and say that the smart, you know, this guy is so smart that we can't find a damn thing on him. So it, he's got to be guilty because we can't find anything. He's so smart. <laughs> That is just, that is by definition in its of itself absurd. I mean, what an absolutely absurd comment that the definition of fraud is the absence of evidence. Uh, it's just, I mean, it, there are so many things I mean, that come out of the, the administration that I just, I just have no words sometimes to try to respond. So, uh, but the, the, the issue here is, is a serious one. The, the president has managed, I, I, I believe, uh, to convince a, a a lot of people in this country uh, that mail-in voting is uh, uh, means means fraud. Now we, we know that there's very little evidence uh, that that you know states like Washington and Oregon and Colorado have been doing exclusive or near exclusive mail-in voting for years without incident. Uh, we know that you know Florida does so much of it now. They they just went right. through their, uh, their their primary with about half of the voters voting by mail. They they, they, they don't. You know they don't call it absentee voting anymore. It's just you know you vote you vote by mail. Yeah, I agree. But 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 how do you uh, convince? How do you convince people that have been stirred up to believe that this means that you know that you're gonna have people at home sending in hundreds of ballots? How do you convince people and demonstrate for them that you can have every every bit of, as much of a, in terms of safeguards to protect the integrity of the vote with mail-in voting? as you can with in-person voting. It, it, it's, it's not easy, and there's a certain segment of the population that will believe anything that Donald Trump says, regardless of it has whether it has any factual basis or not. You're never gonna convince those people. Uh, there's, but I, I do think that there is, uh, the broader uh, electorate is going to follow. They're concerned. They, they have seen the fact that the president said, uh, you know, refused to wear a mask and made that political. We've seen we're seeing problems after problems with reopening businesses, with reopening schools, and the spike in the virus. And I think people are beginning to look and have some real serious concerns about some of the things, some of the outlandish things that he says, particularly about mail-in votes and, and absentee balloting, because people are smart enough, I believe, to understand that there's really no difference between mail-in votes and absentee ballots like the president and the first lady are doing. and so. We're going to have more of those. But the fact of the matter is, I think Democrats have to show that what we're seeing right now is not an effort to suppress fraud, but what we're seeing is an effort to promote suppression uh, of the votes and trying to get people's ballots not counted. And I think one thing that Democrats have to do and not fall into the trap on is that is this is not a Democratic issue. This is an American issue. This is an issue about the United States Postal Service, which is written into the Constitution of the United States, 
This is about people not just dealing with ballots, but also dealing with prescription medications and other life-saving things that they get through the mail. This is about everybody having access to the ballot box and having your vote count, regardless of who you vote for. And I think in the midst of this pandemic, we're going to see a lot of people using the mail-in votes. They want to do that because they don't want to stand in line in, on Election Day uh, in a situation where they could end up getting sick. So I think Democrats have our work cut out for us, but only in the sense of trying to make sure people understand this is not a partisan issue. The president's making it one, but it's not a partisan issue. We're not trying to just get ballots out there for people that we think are going to vote Democrat. We're trying to get, make sure all ballots are counted. I, I, I think that a very simple explanation that your vote, that there's no way you can vote twice with, with mail-in voting. There's no way you can vote if you are not a registered voter with mail-in voting. That the whole point, the, the, the system is set in place. Every state is, has, has their own variations of it. But there, you can only get a ballot if you are a registered voter. And once you have voted, you are marked as voted. You cannot vote multiple times. Because the president seems to be telling people that I can be sitting here at home you know, filling out ballots for my cat and dog. Right. That's not right. the case. So yep. I think there's a basic education of how the system works, that it's very, you only get a ballot if you are a registered voter. And once that ballot is submitted, you're done. And, and John, I've, I've seen some uh, reports where in some states that have, people have asked for that absentee ballot, got that absentee ballot, they're afraid that now they're thinking, well, maybe there's a problem here and I want to show up at the polls. And what they're telling folks is because of the very kind of checks and balances that you're talking about, you need to take that absentee ballot with you to the polling place if that's what you want to do to show them that you have not voted, to make yep. sure that you're, you're counted. There is the cross checks, the cross tabs, you name it, that will help this and prevent people from multiple voting. It just is so crazy that that can happen in any in any magnitude, uh, the way the president says. It's, it just is not going to happen. And he's in, you know, the other thing about it, and so many of, uh, like in Alabama and throughout the South, most of the election officials are Republican. He's just insulting the hell out of the, these folks to say, you can't run a fraud-proof uh, election, even by mail. And that's just crazy. We've been doing it for years and years and years. Senator, let's let's talk a little bit about the, the the speech that you're preparing for tonight. I'm curious how you even rehearse something like this, and what what the core message is from you as someone who's known Joe Biden for a long time. And you know, let's face it, you've got one of the toughest reelection fights, if not the toughest fight of any statewide Democrat in the country. What's the message that you're hoping to leave people with tonight? Well, look, this is a message of unity. But now I want to make sure everybody understands that you know we're this convention is not like any convention in the past. I am not going to be standing in front of 10,000 people screaming and hollering and people holding up placards saying go Doug or whatever. That's not happening. There's no bright lights. There's nothing like this. There's no cheering crowds. Um, and the, the time limit has been cut down considerably. I mean, like way down. So this is more like a, a video, video remarks than a rousing convention speech. Uh, the theme is clearly, you know, we the people. It is a unifying speech. It will hearken uh, to, and, and not, 
candidly, it, I don't even call it a speech. I just call it remarks because it is relatively short. I, I think that even, you know, the president, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, th those folks have longer periods of time. But we're talking about just a two-hour block for a whole bunch of speakers. So you can imagine this is relatively short. But what I'm talking about is I'm hearkening back to, you know, the, the, the days of despair in Alabama. You know, the Montgomery bus boycott, the uh, church bombing in 1963, the Edmund Pettus Bridge. But those things that people found common ground and unified around and bringing people and how far we've come and Joe Biden being that unifying force. And I'll talk a little bit. I'll mention a the fact that I've known him for 40 years and always believed he was going to be a great president. But I, that's that's the things you're going to hear from, I think, everybody today, tonight, uh, is to try to rally around and having someone at the top of the ticket that can really bring this country together and not divide us. That that is a, That is the most important thing, I think, that can come out of this convention, that we are a diverse country with diverse voices and diverse people and we have got to gather around together. We've got to come together as a whole. You know, in Alabama, my theme is one Alabama. It's not an us versus them. It's not a good versus evil, like my opponent keeps saying. That's that's where I think you're going to see this entire convention going. And it's somewhat of, you know, it's part of my short remarks tonight. And, and Senator, you, you endorsed. Joe Biden on day one of his campaign. You were one of the very first um, out, out of the box uh, drawing on that friendship. Could, could you imagine appearing at or, or, or running on the same ticket as some of the others? You think if Bernie Sanders was the nominee, you'd be speaking at his convention or Elizabeth Warren for that matter? Or is there something unique about Biden? You know, I, well, first of all, there is a, a uniqueness about Biden because I think Joe represents uh, the, the broad coalition that is the Democratic Party, and I'm not sure Bernie really represents that. I think he represents an important piece and important voices in the Democratic Party. Make no mistake about that. But I think Joe represents and has that ability to bring folks from all sides together. So in that context, I think it's unique. I, I don't know what role I would have. I would like to think that that if, if Bernie or Elizabeth had been the nominee, that they too would be reaching out to folks, the moderate folks, the more conservative folks in the party, um, to help them because they would need these votes. They would need people that support me to try to support them. So, it, it, you know, it's hard to say, but I, I did believe all along. I kept telling folks, you guys in the media, I got asked all the time in the Capitol, oh my God, you know, where's Joe? What's going on? It seems like the the, the, you know, the, the voices on the far left have the momentum. I kept saying, be patient. You know, I believe Joe Biden is where the Democratic Party as a whole is. And I think that that was borne out to be true. And I think it's going to be borne out that way for the country in November. All right, Senator Jones, before you go, I want to pick right up on that and ask you the question that I think uh, may be the most important decision the Democrats make after the election, if Biden wins and if Democrats recapture the Senate. So I think this is the most important issue that will be virtually a non-issue during the campaign. Uh, and that is the question of the filibuster. As you know, uh, there are a growing number of Democrats, um, possibly including Barack Obama, who, who believe that it's time to do away with the filibuster uh, in the Senate. If that is done, uh, Joe Biden can go through and doesn't have to worry about working with uh, Republicans at all if there's a Democratic majority. Can 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 basically you know 
go through and aggressively put 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 forward his agenda. If there is still a filibuster, assuming Democrats don't get 60 votes, which I don't think anybody thinks is possible, um, you know, he's going to have to find a way to work with Republicans. So that decision will govern not only the way the Senate works, but the direction, I think, of the of, of, of the Biden presidency, if there is one. So what do you think about this? First of all, two questions. Do you think that Joe Biden, man of the Senate, uh, would support and go along with the idea of doing away with the filibuster? Um, and do you think it actually happens? And where do you stand? You know, Three I, questions. I, I've thought about this a lot because I get asked this a, a fair amount. And here's, this is what I believe. And I've not talked to Joe about it or anybody on his team. I think Joe, as you said, is a man of the Senate. And I think that what he will want to do initially is I think he will want to test both Democrats and Republicans, not one or the other, but test both of them to try to find common ground, to move things forward. I think that there will be some of his friends. I think there are going to be people on the other side, if Trump is no longer in the picture, that are going to want to do things and going to want to get back to working together. I think Joe will try to do that, and I am going to encourage him to not write out of the chute try to come in and change those rules. I am going to be very reluctant. I have said all along, I do not want to change the filibuster rule at all. I really believe that by having that, you have the ability to find common ground. We don't want, I don't think it's a good thing in this country to see a pendulum swinging from right to left, depending on uh, the election every four or eight years. We really need to get back to a, a situation where people are talking to each other, trying to find that common ground and moving forward. I believe Joe is going to try that. I hope that Republicans will uh, follow that lead and try to work to do things for the American people because it, there's nothing inconsistent, in my opinion, by trying to get, do things together and move forward on legislation and still having your political differences and challenging at the, uh, at the ballot box with your ideas and how you want to move the country forward. You know, John, it's interesting. I was, I've was i been reading a book um, called The Last Great Senate about the Senate in 19, from 1977 through 1981 during the Carter administration. Bob Byrd, majority leader, Howard Baker. Um, I was there for a year with Senator Heflin in 79 and 80. And it's a remarkable history of the Senate and how people came together to debate on the floor of the Senate to get things done how you would have both the leaders working to advance an agenda, not just for their party, but for the country. And they still fought. They still blocked each other. There was still the filibuster, but yet they got some amazing things done during the Carter administration. And if we could just get back to that, and I think Joe Biden being a student of the Senate, a man of the Senate, as you said, I hope he's going to try that. That's what I'm going to encourage him to do once I get back there and I get reelected in the fall. I'm going to encourage him to please, let's do this. Let's put Republicans on the spot to work together. And Joe Biden was there uh, uh, during, during, right. that, uh, during that period. And I think that that is, that is going to be the interesting question. His instinct is going to be to try to go uh, uh, back to that. Uh, he's talked, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard him talk about, you know, the, how, how, he, how he worked with, uh, with Republicans. The question is, uh, does that Republican Party still exist? And will Biden's own party, will your party allow him to do that? With, I, I, with... I, I think that the Democrats will allow Joe Biden to do that. 
They are excited about his candidacy. They know him. I think they will allow him to do that. I think the uh, the bigger question, and, and and that's part of what this book was also talking about too, is how the part the Republican Party began to change, which is somewhat complete now. Whether or not the Republican Party will allow him to do that, and if that's a continued block, then I think there's going to be a another effort uh, to change those rules. I am still likely to oppose that. I am still going to be a student of the Senate, and I do not want to see that change. But it really is going to depend on how the Republicans will, will react. All right, Senator Doug Jones, thank you very much for joining us. Come back and uh, talk to us as, as, as we yeah. move forward towards November 3rd. Would love to do that at any time, guys. This has been great. Thank you. All right, Rick, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Thank you to Susie Lou, Avery Miller, uh, the uh, Missing in Action, Trevor Hastings, and our entire Powerhouse Politics crew. We will be back tomorrow because it's convention week. We are here every single day.